Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Welcome back to Headliners. I'm Simon Evans. Joining me tonight, two men that look like they've just spent the evening facilitating a high-stakes poker night for some questionable Russian oligarchs. It is Josh Howie and Leo Kurse. I don't entirely understand the thinking behind that. They just put it on the I think program. I was the waiter, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I was the waiter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the way you... Well, maybe the Scorpion suggests a certain amount of high-stakes gaming. I, I think know. I'm actually in the game. Yeah. <laughs> I, can win, I can win a yacht. You do dress like, <laughs> like a... Like in Bullseye. Yes. You dress a like a very yacht. rich person. A rich bullseye contestant. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like right. one of those like billionaires yeah. that's just got so much money they don't need to... This is like, you don't want to talk about not needing to try. I'm not trying. <laughs> I don't want to see too much division before we get started. Let's take a look at tomorrow's front pages and then we can crack on with the row. We start with the <laughs> Daily Mail. Uh, they have Raab's threat to ignore Euro court rulings and a photograph of Balbabe's gloriously winning smile at Royal Ascot. Uh, the next is the Telegraph. They've gone with Lord Guite resigns as Johnson's ethics chief. That is obviously tonight's top story. There is a photograph there of a woman tending a Sussex vineyard, however, which is a little closer to home for me. And it felt like I was going to be executed. That is in the, uh, the Independent. Uh, they have got the men on the flight, the uh, failed Rwanda deportation flight. They tell their stories. Uh, next, we have the Guardian. PM under pressure again as second ethics advisor quits and uh, Patel faces outcry over Rwanda shambles. The Financial Times have the three-quarter point rate rise as the Fed steps up inflation fight. That is the first increase of its kind, by which I imagine they mean three-quarters of a percent, since 1994. And a picture of Xi and Putin uh, demonstrating their loyalty to one another. Uh, as EU leaders line up behind Ukraine. The Mirror have, please save, Beatrix. Uh, Beatrix is a potentially tragic toddler, um, the daughter of a couple who had already donated the heart of their stillborn child, now need a donor organ for their other daughter. An extraordinary coincidence. Uh, we wish them well. The Daily Express have furious pretty attacks, secrecy of Euro courts. The Express certainly... Uh, making it clear whose side they're on, and Dame Deborah's winning smile once again at Royal Ascot. And finally, the Daily Star, uh, which barely resembles a newspaper at all on this occasion, but they've gone with good news alert, hallelujah, boffins on verge of pill to replace exercise at gym. I'm not sure that is good news, uh, but I can see why they might try and sell it that way. OK, those are the headlines. Let's see what's inside. <coughs> So we start with Thursday's Telegraph. Shockwaves have been sent through Downing Street by this one. The news that Boris Johnson 
actually had an ethics advisor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's got to be a tough job. Second only to his uh, hairstylist. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's another crisis for Boris. It's only, it's only been like 20 minutes since the last one. I suppose it's the same crisis seen through a slightly different prism, isn't it? it it's, a, it's a repercussion from, yes. the, from the last crisis. So his ethics advisor, Lord Christopher Geit, has resigned uh, a surprise resignation, apparently. Downing Street didn't see it coming. Uh, in the wake of rev revelations about lockdown-breaking parties in Downing Street and Boris... Uh, you know, misleading Parliament or lying, lying to Parliament. Uh, and it's, it's actually his second ethics advisor to resign. So back in 2020, Sir Alex Allen uh, resigned after Boris overruled his finding that Priti Patel had bullied staff. Ah, that one, yes, I do remember that. It's a bit like uh, Trump's uh, spokespeople, aren't they? They used to sort of turn those over once or twice a week, I remember. That yeah. There was a period in the middle of his reign. And it kept things interesting, you know. But... I, am I, like, I don't know, have I not been paying attention? Is this a new thing that they've brought in just for Boris Johnson anyway? I mean, did Tony Blair have an ethics advice? You shouldn't really need one, should you? It's like, it's like having a sort of governess when you're yeah. seven or something to yeah. remind you to mind and, your manners. And to be honest, having a slice of cake isn't as bad as invading Iraq. Well, this is something I've been saying, or indeed refusing to admit that you had sexual relations with a woman in the... You know, and, mm. and having your wife uh, lie for you as... But anyway, we... we is that what Tony Blair did? Well, that's, that was HRC, wasn't it? It was, uh, you know, uh, Bill Clinton was, uh, was, was relentlessly lying and he's, like, held up as, as the highest, the, the finest <laughs> liberal president of, of our lifetime. <laughs> anyway, we get, we get... But I do... Uh, seriously, is it a new thing? I can't imagine Churchill had an ethics advice. I can't imagine <laughs> Millen had one. I can't it's even imagine the, Thatcher had it's one. It's part of HR just expanding. It, it does expanding feel like that insulation way, foam, just filling up every, every crevice and using all available bandwidth and it resources is, and money. It's managerialism, run. It's like metastasizing. What would you think? Uh, you're probably more sympathetic to the poor chap. Well, no, I'm, I'm not really. I think he should have resigned earlier. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, he had his chances. The, the instant he took the job. He yeah, should. exactly. <laughs> have Thank a look, you very much. I'll do around. my best. I'll resign. <laughs> have a look at him. Uh, you know, we've got one of the biggest liars ever yes. as our prime minister, and uh, yeah. and, he, and 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 his, he said, oh, "I'm going to leave if the if it's not independent." Then he sort of changed the rules, like Boris Johnson changed the rules, so it wasn't yes. independent. That's when he should have left. That was probably about six months ago. Absolutely. Him like hanging on Come until now. You have now. to admire that. What, just clicking <laughs> the yeah, yeah, of course, change the rules. Just wait there. I mean, yeah. just one minute. Oh, look, it's, it's well, he's got his revenge because it seems to have come out of the blue. It brings Partygate yeah. back into the news, which mm. is this, exactly what the Tories were afraid of. The people mm. who put in those letters. They know yes. it's just going to drip feed over the next year until we have an election, yeah, yeah. finally. Yeah. Do you think this is going to be like when the Tories, uh, under John Major, they won the election unexpectedly against Kinnock, and I think it was only about a few months later that they crashed out of the ERM, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and that re that basically remained the narrative for the, for the remainder of that... Um... Well, possibly, because Boris is, you know, remarkably popular with, yeah. with voters. I mean, yeah. he delivered an, an well, 80-seat that... majority. I think, oh, I think yeah, you no. know, uh, polls, he was popular. polls are very yeah, yeah, ephemeral, yeah. and I think, you know, really... The, push comes to shove against Starmer, like Boris, Boris could perform strongly. Yeah. But there does seem to be a concerted effort within the Tories to, to get rid of him, because this is coming, yeah. uh, you know, the, just the timing of this and with the fact that it's a surprise. So on Monday, which is just yesterday, I know that's a long time in yeah. politics, but just yesterday, apparently uh, Lord Guy had, had said he's going to stay on as the ethics advisor. Well, so I, for I sort of think what he said, it was quite interesting. I was, I was quite intrigued by the dilemma he felt he had, which was that he knew that Boris had, had broken certain rules and, and certainly uh, acted unethically. 
But he felt that if he brought that to Boris's attention, he might refuse to do anything about it, and that would make his position <laughs> untenable. So rather than do that, so, well, I mean, but it's not an entirely unfamiliar. It's basically the story of constitutional monarchy, isn't it? The, the Queen, in theory, has the power to refuse to uh, ratify, you know, statute and so on. But if she ever were to do so, yeah. the whole thing would would end immediately. He's basically saying, "I'm I'm like the Queen." <laughs> anyway, obviously, well, I'm like the Queen, and, and I want to collect that salary. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> anyway, Thursday's Guardian next looming rail strikes. Josh, this feels a lot more serious to me than an ethics advisor. Uh, yeah, so uh, it looks like it's going to happen next week. It's just going to be a total disaster. For three days? Is it three? Well, days? it's it's split. Oh, it's twenty first, twenty third, twenty fifth. But because of that, it means that those other off days are yeah. going to be them trying to get the system back running. Yeah. So it's just the whole week's going to be. They almost be worse than the days when you just know not to travel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there are just part parts of the week. Good news is that COVID is on a spike. So if we can get those two things to sort of coincide, <laughs> have a little week off. And is this, remind me, is this ASLEF and the RMT? Because they're, they're slightly different. Yeah, this is, R, is RMT, and um, is it's like 40,000 40, RMT. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, workers have done this. They're... Network Rail basically have been in uh, negotiations with them, but what the criticism is is that the government hasn't really stepped in. They haven't been present. No, for this, uh, whether that's part of their um, strategy or not. I mean, I was somewhat sympathetic to the strikers at, uh, when I when it first was announced because I was like, well, okay, they haven't had a pay rise so long, and then it turns out they got like these seven hundred fifty pound bonuses. None of them, no one lost their jobs during the whole yeah. thing. And you, then you look at some of their salaries, mm. which are crazy, like six fifty eight thousand. The median salaries uh, fifty nine thousand pounds. Yeah. That's the median salary for a driver, and for anybody working in that sector, forty four thousand pounds. And to That's be brutally honest, salary. I mean, uh, you know, it's not even a tough job as driving right. jobs go, is it? Yeah. I mean, right. it's not even like trying to drive no, a truck or a no bus. steering wheel. No. no. Exactly. Very, I mean, like... the one thing that they do confront is the possibility of suicide. So I recognise that, and that can be very upsetting. But that aside... I'm fine with that. It's actually I'd be fine great, it's actually thing, great yeah. job. As... If you're a total sociopath, then that is yeah. a, a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> £59,000 a year. So there's them, yeah, and, yeah. and they are mainly complaining about paying conditions, but the ASLEF people, that's a slightly more uh, existential crisis from their point of view, because they know that a lot of the jobs of the members that they have mm. are essentially redundant. They've yeah. been they've been rendered redundant by technology. They're hanging on. They've run off the edge of the cliff of time and they've yet to sort of feel the pull of gravity. And, and they are essentially blackmailing yeah. the company into... into keeping their jobs. Keeping their jobs, sticking yeah. over as complete sinecures. It's like something out of the Catholic Church in the 15th century or something. Yeah, and blackmailing the public as well. And the yeah. public, you know, pay into the taxes that, you know, gave a £16 billion bailout to, to the rail industry during lockdown. Mm. And, you know, rail workers were furloughed while people at Tesco were having to, you know, still go and, you know, confront COVID and stack shelves and, and yeah. work at the tills. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this idea that they haven't had pay rises, uh, over the last 10 years, uh, rail workers have seen wages rise by 39%. Compare that to police who've seen a 7% rise. So they're, they're, not, they're not in any way, you no. know, lacking pay rises. Especially considering the economic challenges we've all experienced yeah. in the last few years. I think quite a few stand-up comedians would probably settle for just not having had a massive pay cut. <laughs> <laughs> Thursday's Times now. Keir Starmer has a Disney Plus account, it seems. <laughs> and, uh, and is not afraid to use it, Leo. So Keir Starmer is trying to shake off his, uh, the perception of him as being boring and, uh, and stuffy. 
Uh, so, so he's uh, delivered an animated performance in the Commons, uh, replete with pop culture references. But when we say pop culture, this is Keir Starmer. So this is uh, what he said was, he thinks he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. The truth is he's Jabba the Hutt. So these references... Oh, no, you didn't! <laughs> these references... That's like 1979. Yeah, these references are yeah. 40 years old. So, you know, he's not exactly, you know, down with K-pop. I suppose he could have gone for that one that everyone hated from the middle three, who was the one, the sort of one that talked jive. Do you remember him? Uh, George, oh, George, 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 George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> more awkward. But this, yes, that's extraordinary. He went for these are not the droids you're looking for, and he couldn't even do the voice, could he? The, the elegant... <laughs> You've got to be able to do the voice. Yeah. It never really works when politicians try and be cool. Like, remember yeah. when William Hague yeah. tried to suddenly be cool? He put on a baseball cap and said that he drank 11 pints of cider yes. or something. It just <laughs> looked like a wally. Why can we not have... Leaders of the opposition who could quote Shakespeare or Chesterton or Pope or someone, you know. At the, at the, at the, I, mean, I don't uh, think they should like do all that. The cool, yeah. Like all the yeah. cool people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I would at we least don't want to respect that. I don't want Morrissey, an 18-year-old like Morrissey. something out of the Dunciad. Well, but this, Keir Starmer, that seems to be the, the biggest complaint against him, that he's boring. Yeah. That, I like that, personally. That's what I would want in somebody. I don't mind the, when the country's boring. I don't mind when there's no great... You know, when, you know I know what you mean. You don't want to lurch from crisis to crisis. Yeah. That's fine. That doesn't necessarily equate with a boring leader because boring leaders, mm. boring personalities actually fail to galvanise yeah. departments. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can see that, but I think he... I think he's got like hidden depths in his own thing, but but I just don't think he's he, got no hidden. No, you don't think he's got hidden depths. No, I think everything. He does. I don't know. He, I he's think just he he's just like a walking focus group. There's no authentic drive. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I I agree. I no. I'm saying that I think he does have an authentic self, and I think unfortunately, like a lot of these, you know, they they start getting scared and they yeah. start getting self conscious about it. And you're right. Then the the focus. But we have do the come two. In. I mean, ridiculous extremes because Johnson yeah. is obviously an all personality. Catastrophe. <laughs> he's like, just like he's like a, he's actually like a fight. In a yeah. jumble sale, and and, and and Starmer is sort of comes out looking like Man at C and A from 1984. <laughs> Somewhere between them, there must be a happy meet, and then we got Jacob Rees-Mogg, you know, who's demonstrating. But if you could triangulate those three, yeah. I think you might come up with somebody. Tony Blair, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what have I said? Thursday's Mirror. Um, we're skipping ahead to the story in which the World Health Organization are negating the real threat that monkeypox. Poses, uh, namely the potential for racism. I, I don't quite understand why. Yes, the World Health Organization is trying to come up with a new name of a uh, new name for monkeypox that doesn't offend any cultural, social, national, regional, professional, or ethnic group. It's obviously the most important thing when you're dealing with a pandemic yeah. is mm. to is to uh, go into a laboratory and isolate the thing that makes the name racist. Uh, and they I mean, you can understand when they said the China virus. I mean, I personally thought it wasn't. It was. It was reasonable. You know, like the uh, the uh, when we started flu. off with the Wuhan virus and yeah. that sort of thing. People well, were the, saying because it came from there. Well, the but trouble. The, the trouble, monkey pox doesn't carry any connotations. What do people? Well, think, I think it makes people scared of monkeys. And yeah. you know this, it doesn't. It can uh, be harboured in rats, rats, and you know right. so you don't need to be in a. You know, uh, you don't need to just stay away from from monkeys to avoid. The actual um, contagion seems to be mainly. It's like close. It's not actually yeah. an STD exactly, is it? It's not about. No, it's got to rub your skin. About, yeah, like lots of cuddling and sweaty bodies with shirts off at discos and that kind of thing. Yeah. right. That's what is happening. There's no like racism. Yeah, but I mean, I, no, no, no. But I, guess, just the name, I think that monkeys associated with Africa seems right. big, but which is where yeah. supposedly it, it, it originated. All the first human case was in the Republic. All that's going to confuse Congo. people now. They're going to come up with a new name for people, and people. Well, go, oh, what well, that? I first monkeypox, and now this. I <laughs> think that they should call it the China virus. Yes. 
I think they should bring it back, bring back the China virus, make all this the China virus. The China virus? Yeah. yeah. But it's not been anywhere near China. I know, but just I liked it. I oh, liked you it. like the China virus, right? <laughs> like you're, a, you're a Trumpian. <laughs> what about well, uh, Cuddlepox? They've got cuddle a name. Well, that, that'd be great. Then you'd know to you avoid cuddles. To cuddle, exactly. yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about face masks, yeah. don't worry about Sexy monkeys at the zoo. <laughs> Sexy rubbing yeah. fox. Yeah. Uh, but they do, they do have a name for it, and this is a really catchy name that's bound to catch on. It's lowercase h, uppercase m... Uppercase P, uppercase X, uppercase V. Oh God, that's my password. So, uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, he's, Your he, one-time only code. He, he yeah. plays for uh, Ukraine, I think. This is like <laughs> AOC's new name for people from South America. H- yeah. H-M-P-X. Thursday's times, gentlemen. Are cryptocurrencies still a sound investment? You have this, Josh. Well, there's been a massive uh, decline over the last week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, I know they're, they're every time that seems to come into the press yeah, and, yeah. You know, every few months, but this one is huge. Yep. And I would just like to apologise to anybody who's invested in cryptocurrency because I finally took the jump last week. <laughs> <laughs> I, the whole time this has been going up, 10 years now, I'd be going, yeah, it's all going to fall apart. Yeah. It's all going to fall apart. And I thought, finally, you know what? <laughs> I thought I'll put 200 quid into it. And literally, <laughs> it's gone down two thirds. Like <laughs> the day after. Listen, mate, I've managed to lose money on crypto on every, like, Every curve of it. Okay, yeah, so yeah, I feel slightly guilty that, they, like, I was the last idiot standing. But story is Bill Gates explaining yes. that it feeling all superior he's like oh I've got my 144 billion or we whatever 121 works, billion mate, you know. yeah and uh, you're yeah. all idiots for trying to make some money well yeah he makes fun of so NFTs as well which are yeah. linked to cryptocurrency so this yeah. is non-fungible token so it's basically a, a digital image but you've got the rights to it and he, he's being sarcastic he says that obviously expensive digital images of monkeys are going to improve the world immensely this is the guy who came up with that annoying little paperclip <laughs> I mean, at least the, the monkeys don't appear when I'm trying to do a Word document and mess yeah. it up for the me. The thing with the NFTs, and I mean, I did find the monkeys annoying, but generally speaking, it is, it's an attempt, it's an early attempt, isn't it, to integrate culture and digital cryptocurrency. Mm. And obviously, I think it's likely to be a bit, you know, up and down, it's going yeah. to be bumpy. But even now, even after this catastrophic fall... Bitcoin is still up well over 100% on where it was this time two years ago, which is still remarkably good for anyone who invested in March 2020, for instance. Most investments, generally speaking, Silicon Valley has has bucked that trend for a few years, but generally speaking, most investments, you're lucky if you get 5% 5 a year. Warren Buffett, the world's most successful investor over a period of time, Gets between 10 and 12%, maybe 15 in really well, good year. In fact, he's quoted in this article and he highlights one of the one of the problems with Bitcoin and other yeah. cryptocurrencies is they're not really backed by anything. They don't no. produce anything. It's all, uh, as Bill Gates says, it's the greater fool theory. So yeah. the idea is that somebody even more stupid than you is going to buy it off you at a higher price because it's not giving a dividend. It's not generating any any product or anything. The, the counter-argument would be, I believe, if you were pro-cryptocurrency, that we are seeing the emergence of an alternative to fiat currency, mm. fiat currency being that which is only backed by the guarantee of the state, doesn't mm. have gold or whatever. And it's just going to continue inflating. It's a little bit like betting on a bouncy castle that isn't fully inflated. You don't know how big it's going to be. But if it were, for instance, to be able to 
be as big as gold, yeah. you know, which is like you, some would say is like the archaic, you know, the original form of money, then mm. it's still got a long way to go, but it's yeah. going to be a bumpy ride. But if you invest and just sit tight, yeah. five years, ten years' time, you'll probably still do okay. I think Bitcoin, then we don't all know of the tiny we, little ones, maybe not so We don't know if this is the bouncy castle that's going to end up being the one that everybody wants to go on. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's, that is so a, you're saying I shouldn't have just sold today? I'm afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it for part one. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Simon Evans, Josh Howie, and Leo Kurse. Thursday's Independent Now and an Orwellian masterclass from the Chinese education system, Leo. So China is uh, apparently rewriting school books in Hong Kong to teach students that uh, the city was never a British colony. So it was a British col colony for 99 years before it was uh, given back to, to China. Um, so instead of saying uh, it was a UK colony, the Chinese government is going to say that it never recognised the 19th century treaties that ceded Hong Kong to Britain. Uh, and the ruling Communist Party maintains that the agreements uh, signed were unequal treaties. Uh, and I should imagine they're not going to be teaching much about Tiananmen Square or uh, Tibet or the plight of the Uyghurs. Uh, this is a bit of a... Sh I don't quite understand what they hope to benefit from this, if, if any children were to ask awkward questions, because it was under British rule throughout that time. There's no escaping for that those, fact. For those kids, they don't know that. I but, mean, the, the, but the point uh, I'm making is... If they were, if it were under British rule for 99 years and the Chinese government saying we didn't recognise those treaties because they were unequal treaties, well, that simply means that they were cowed into submission by the military force, the prestige of the, of the British government. They didn't feel able to challenge it, despite the fact that they, it would, if, if anything, it would be truth. more humiliating. <laughs> yeah, but although that could work in their favour, because they're saying that's why we need to be strong now. So when that never happens, that humiliation, because I know it is a big deal in China, mm. that humiliation, and oh, they yeah. vow that that's part of their, what drives them forward is this feeling that they were left behind or that they were sort of subjugated almost mm. by, well, by the West. You know? They were unequal treaties. I mean, the yeah. opium wars, you know, you could certainly make a case that were a very mm. immoral business. You, you, mm. you know the history of it. It was, it was, it was fairly extraordinary. They're basically, the, the, the Chinese had a huge uh, balance of trade deficit, they, uh, or a surplus rather. They were winning the, the balance of trade war. They were getting loads of British silver because we wanted all their silk and, 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 and fancy luxury goods in the mid-19th century. We were just getting NFTs. And exactly, we were getting uh, monkey face. So we, uh, so we basically, uh, the East India Company uh, started creating opium in Bengal, I think it was, and then just shipping it straight up to, to China, getting loads of Chinese hooked on it. And, and, and it reversed the balance of trade direction, Amazing. and we got all our silver back by, by, by literally getting the Chinese hooked on opium. I mean, it was we were extraordinarily... Uh... We were so smart. I know. <laughs> oh, my God, Britain was... The British Empire was amazing. How well, can anybody criticise it? It's not often acknowledged, I don't think it's adequately acknowledged, that the Chinese have essentially... They have had their revenge in the last 10 or 15 years by getting us addicted to cheap plastic. You know, <laughs> exactly you're not supposed to, no, you're not supposed smoke to it, smoke them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Thursday's Guardian now. One place I get the feeling one place is not celebrating the holy month of pride. <laughs> yeah. And that is Saudi Arabia, Josh. Yes, so there's this extraordinary footage of uh, these uh, sort of security guards going around the shopping centre in Saudi Arabia and just gathering up anything that has a rainbow flag on it yeah. because of rainbow... Skittles. Uh, sk yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Any, it's like uh, some ridiculous things like pencil cases, skirts, hats... Uh, may see a lot. toys. Yeah, yeah, dildo. <laughs> oh, sorry, exactly. but, um, I think we actually have got video of it. I don't know whether... Let's have a look and see what they got. We've got a lot of 
الشكل الداخلي ايضا هذه نشوفها ايحاء من الشكل الخارجي So, sorry, what were you saying? Well, it's just a strange mix of, uh, you know, the sort of spitting image, um, you know, <laughs> effectively, a, you know, towel on the head and uh, the Walmart uniform. Yes, mm. it's a slight... There was a, a, a massive confusion and clash of cultures. Why, yeah. did, they, why did they blur out the items? That yeah. was what was really weird. Like, these, these pencil cases were so dangerous, the yeah. pride flag is so pernicious in its spreading of homosexuality that to even see the rainbow is enough to, you know... But it's quite obvious. I mean, they were in a shop that had managed to stock rainbow pencil cases. I didn't see any sort of specific pride propaganda there or whatever. Have probably, they only just realised what this stuff is? It was probably the Irish tourist board shop. Yeah. This is just selling <laughs> stuff from the Emerald Isle, little yeah. leprechauns with I mean, children have hats. always liked rainbows, haven't they? It's not yeah. some new yeah. invention. I mean, that is arguably quite... A, and and I'd know, say this, but... this is arguably progress because at least they're, you know, they're throwing the, uh, the rainbow-coloured things uh, in the bin instead of throwing uh, gay people yes, off the tops of buildings. That is true. I suppose we could say that. Staying in the region from Thursday's Telegraph, the plight of Afghan female newsreaders, Leo. Oh, yeah. So uh, in, in uh, Afghanistan, obviously, the Taliban took over when, when America just suddenly, abruptly pulled out and left, you know, left an absolute, absolute cavity of, of power in the country. So uh, female newsreaders um, are forced to cover their faces now. Yep. The, the, tal the latest Taliban edict uh, orders women to cover their, their faces outside the home with a burqa. And it, it's a whole body. They, they've got to cover their whole body. So it's, uh, you know, it's very difficult to present the news when you're But they are allowed covered. to carry on presenting the news. I suppose, they are allowed you know, to, there is that. They are allowed to carry right. on presenting the news. And uh, male uh, co-presenters uh, showed solidarity for the first week by covering their faces with, with masks. Um, but yeah, basically... But they got tired of that, did they? Yeah. We did our best. Like, like, hey, <laughs> actually, actually, we like this new regime. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting promoted next week. You know, I'm getting your slots. But, um, but yeah, and if, if women don't comply, presenters and journalists don't comply, then uh, the Ministry of Vice and Virtue uh, will punish their husbands, fathers and brothers. The Ministry um, of Vice and Virtue. That would be a fantastic nightclub. It's called The Guardian in this country. <laughs> Well, the, uh, I'd say the one thing about the Taliban is they do not actually know what a woman is. Yep, that's true. You know, so, you know good luck if Eddie Izzard goes out there. And they take there, the court and like, yeah. if she, she tries to, uh, please yeah. cover my face, I'm a woman. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, but what do you think? Is it, is it like, is it a kind of weird... I mean, it's, it is quite odd, isn't it, that you cover a woman and then allow her to be reading the... That feels to me like they are slightly caught in a... In a slightly are, you saying, attitude, are you saying they haven't, you know, this ideology has got yeah. some errors? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that sounds Islamic. Well, I imagine it's hard for them to find, you know, they argue that the burqa or whatever, it, it, um, that sorry, the hijab mm. is like according to God's law. That's not true. Right. According, um, but to Islamic law. But uh, I guess they can't find the things to get the women out of these jobs right. according to Islamic it's law. So they have to the sort Quran of start, but they are escalating. That yeah. they, they said that they would let uh, girls go to secondary school. They banned that. So yeah. these things are yeah. coming in incrementally. Well, it is going backwards. It's the greatest crime of Biden's administration, just abandoning yeah. Afghanistan like that. It's disgusting. And it was left... set up by Trump, to be fair. I mean, he had... He had uh... Yeah, but he cancelled... Yeah, uh, his first it. day, his first yeah. day in office, it's he cancelled, you know, the pipeline and all this stuff. So he, he could have carried on. Yeah. 
I think I, may, I think maybe it is an attempt to drive. Knowing how annoyed Nick gets in here with the temperature, if it if it goes, you know, when he has to. I mean, I, you're just saying a news reading studio. I would imagine with the lights on him are probably not the coolest kind. Maybe it Nick, is essentially constructive dismissal. Isn't maybe it? Nick needs a burka. Yeah, maybe he does. Independent next, and France are still wrestling with issues of female autonomy themselves. Josh. Yeah, so the bikini, you guys know the bikini? Mm -hmm. It's uh, the all-in-one thing for swimming. Uh, So that was banned in France uh, about 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. and it's making a comeback. So the town of Grenoble is now taking uh, the government, uh, the top court, France's top court, um, uh, there to a ruling to see whether it's going to be able to be allowed back or not. Uh, There are arguments that it's more hygienic, like it's like, you know, you could sort of like, no, because it keeps everything locked away. Mm. I'm just thinking, I don't, I just remember when I went swimming once and I had a shave, I used to have a shaved head and someone told me off for not having a, a cap on. Mm. I was like, but I've got no hair. They were like, yeah. no, that's the rules. You have to wear. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. It's to stop <laughs> hair falling. It's probably better than the knitted swimming costume I remember having as a small boy. Yeah, the, oh, wow. How old are you, mate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Victorian <laughs> era. Everything. What do you think? Well, they look like people would drown in them. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, France has, has banned the, the burkini. Now there's, uh, now there's this uh, challenge. Um, I, I don't know. We, we've, you know, famously, Boris, you know, refused to, to, ban, yeah. uh, to ban it in, in the UK. Um, I mean, France is is wrestling with uh, with issues at the moment because they've had a huge influx over the past few decades of uh, Islamic uh, mm. immigrants, which has you know quite changed the culture. Islamic and been, swim teams, and they've seen yeah they've seen some uh, negative. Obviously, they've seen some positive yeah. effects, but they've seen some negative effects, and we've we've seen the ter- you know horrific terror attacks, mm. um, and uh, also the the culture clash. And there's, you know, I think in the UK, um, different cultures assimilate uh, much more easily for some reason. I don't know if it's because we've got a, le- you know, a slightly lower level of immigration or, or what it is. But, no, but uh, I think in, in Paris particularly, like the inners, everybody gets shoved. Uh, into pushed, the bon lieu. But yeah, yeah, gets pushed to the outside and it is much There more. is also a sense, isn't there, that uh, the, the, the French seaside, there's a tradition of beautiful women in scanty, you know, it's, 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 it's part of, the, you know, the, the Cannes Film Festival and yeah, all the rest this of it. You know, this is men coming up with this. It's part of their worldwide <laughs> appeal, is, whereas in Britain, yeah. I think everyone would go, put some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a story that has been rumbling uh, on for some time. Um, I don't know, it's just disappeared now. Well, here we go. The ubiquitous and baffling American candy straws. I've noticed these dotted up and down uh, Oxford Circus and Oxford Street and mm. Regis. There is a sort of, I don't know, there's something quite vile about them, but it's quite hard to put your finger on. But oh, apparently it, says, it says discovered. American in the title. Is that, does it for you? Very toxic sort oh, of Oh, no, it's toxic. I mean, these sweets have got like three times the amount of sugar that you can legally make in the UK. So right. they're all imported. But Westminster Council is going on a bit of a... Uh, hunt for them. They seized £100,000 worth of fake chocolate bars and uh, uh, and Wonka, Wonka bars and various other toys. Wonka bars being the ones that have a Willy, golden ticket in where you go to... I thought that was like a... Yeah, the yeah, Willy Wonka. They really yeah. exist now, do they? Yeah, I, they I wash back they, into reality. I guess they it's do. It's amazing you get counterfeit chocolate bars <laughs> now. I mean, I'm used to counterfeit cigarettes and things yeah. like that, but for something so you know relatively cheap, although, of course, they're not cheap in these shops, well, right. they're, no, they're, no, 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 they're not. Is it like the pick and mix at the cinema? Is it that no, no, it's separate? way more expensive. I mean, it? it's like because it's 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 what it's some someone charge like ten pounds for uh, like a, for a box of cereal. Yeah. yeah, you can you can you can spend a whole bitcoin in there. It's incredible. <laughs> but there's a, a seven point million pound tax scam that Westminster Council are investigating with these shops. Yeah, and I'm just amazed. So these shops are like the front of a tax scam. I think the the building 
gets um, doesn't have to pay full rates because it's got a shop in it, so they, they get a shop in. But then the shop uh, also dodges tax by taxes by closing right. down before yeah. the financial year, so they're, they're not liable, and you know they fold, so they don't have they don't yeah. pay any tax. So you know it's a way for the for everyone involved to avoid tax. But I'm just amazed. Why are they so expensive if they're avoiding tax? Surely if it's some sort of money laundering tax tax dodge scheme, mm. everything should be cheap. But is it well? It's imported as part of it. But there is a very funny thing. It says here they're using YouTube to lure children into their store. It's like no, <laughs> you're using sweets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that will do it. And welcome back to Headliners with me, Simon Evans, a man that's just got back from his golf club annual awards. Josh Howie and Leo Kirst. Looking splendid in a borrow jacket. I Thank you so much. speaks very well of you. Well, you we got a lot of off. complaints because everyone, my biceps were too sort of attractive and I was too physically dominant the there for a second. Thursday's <laughs> Mail now, and uh, Lenny Henry has a multitude of talents, but is sociological crowd analysis one of them, Leo? <laughs> well, we're not sure. I mean, this might be like an offhand comment that was plucked from an interview and given yeah. star billing, but he said, he was discussing uh, music festivals, Glastonbury in particular, and he said, I'm always surprised by the lack of black and brown faces at festivals. Hmm. That's how I feel watching TV adverts, but with white faces. You give it three days, they usually go quite black and brown, certainly if it's been raining, don't they? Yeah, I mean, you, you do tend to... I mean, it's, it's not quite the same thing as actually being yeah. uh, black. But he says, uh, wow, that's still very much a dominant cultural, dominant culture thing. Uh, and I think, I think it's, you know, a lot of people have, have criticised him online, uh, you know, saying it's, it's not really fair. You can't force people to, hmm. to go to Glastonbury. It's, the tickets are allocated on a ballot, so it's not as if they're just hand-picking, mm. uh, you know, white people to go. It's just, you know, certain groups like different things. Glastonbury's not very good. So, you know... I tend to agree. Well, it attracts a certain demographic, doesn't it? You could divide them by, by race. There is a degree of that. It's also a class thing. It, it seems to be quite middle class. Well, they're it's three, three, like 300 pounds a ticket. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, a certain... It's people who are still trying to... Really not in denial about the fact they're no longer students, isn't it? But it's it also... Is. You're gonna, you have larger ethnic minorities within cities. Yeah. If you go out to Glastonbury, which, which is bringing people from across the country, then it's going to more... You're going to go, oh, there's less... Uh, uh, ethnic uh, minority people here yeah. than there are in my city. Well, that's because this is people from all over the UK. My suspicion is, it, well, it, I think it depends on the tone of voice. He made these remarks in, you see them in print and it can sound, it can look yeah. like he's race-baiting. But, but if you heard, if it just, I think he said the word fascinating. He didn't say, I think it's terrible, I think yeah, it's despicable. Yeah. Mm. He said it's quite interesting that black yeah. people don't like festivals. I'm like, well, that is perfectly... It's not that interesting, but it's, you know... Yeah. I don't know, I just... <laughs> I, I also disagree. When I've been to Glastonbury, I've seen, I've seen loads of different groups. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Would you say too many? But, um, yeah, Lenny <laughs> Henry well, as well. Your standards. It's, it's not his, uh, well, it's not his first time race-baiting either. No, Remember when he true. dressed up with the... He did Chinese face and, yes. uh, you know, had uh, the... He's, a, he's addressed it. <laughs> he's addressed it. <laughs> like he oh, has he, <laughs> has he <laughs> Is it OK now? No, I'm not saying so. I'm he, has saying got, he has talked about it extensively. Right. He has got a documentary coming out in which... And I did see a quote. This annoyed me more than the other one. He was like... It's about black people thinking, well, you know, I've, I've assimilated, I've done my bit, now mm. what happens? And I'm thinking, well, come on, you are a knight of the realm. You are Sir Lenny Henry. You're mm. the Chancellor of Birmingham University. You have, you know, been accepted into the hearts of every home in the... I mean, what, what more the do you expect at this the point? The struggle is real. The struggle is real. I dare say there might be other people feeling that, but I'm not sure yeah. who's the figurehead for that kind of complaint at this yeah. point. Anyway. 
Thursday's Times once more and a fascinating topic, the malleable, somewhat affected nature of accents, Josh. Yes, supposedly we're all going to be talking in London patois. It's going to be spreading across uh, the UK. They're saying partly because of rising house prices. Ah. So people are going to have to moving out of, of, of uh, inner cities. Um, I, did you guys read this article? Because I didn't understand a load of these words. Well, they were saying, saying, we're saying we're going to be ubiquitous. Wagwan. Yeah. Uh, Wagwan, I didn't know what that meant. But waste man, uh, I suppose I'm a, I'm a waste man. <laughs> Peak, uh, mandem, pain. I mean, I'm sort of, I don't know, I've never... The only one I recognise, and I have heard a few people using mm. Brighton, is say man instead of I or, or he. Okay. So you just use it as a universal pronoun and go, man's tired. Yeah. And it yeah. just means I'm tired. But it's you know, so The man is tired. It's a bit transphobic. Yeah, but really. it's so it's so cringeworthy when you see white people using this dialect. I'm yeah, not yeah. Being, I'm not being funny. Like, uh, and it's it's mostly going to be the kids who are at Glastonbury who are oh, yeah. you know they're going to have a didgeridoo and they're going to have their hair in dreads and they're going to be talking about Bamba Clarts. I remember in about I guess 1982 something like that. Minder came on the telly. I lived in St Albans. Until that point, we all had like home counties accents. Overnight, every child became a Cockney. <laughs> every, every single you know, and it was and, it, and, and Minder wasn't even that cool really. Yeah. You know. Oh, Sam, I went to public school and everybody there was just on a sort of mission to sound as street as they could. It was pathetic. Yeah. I'm told that Bamaklat is an is an Ofcom violation and you will have to apologise, whoever said that. I don't even know what it means. Oh, really? Itself, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've just sworn in dialect. But uh, well, right. seriously, if that yeah. offended anyone, I'll sincere apologies. Telegraph next. Staying on language, the Open University has... Something to say about the English language, Leo. Yeah, so apparently, uh, apparently the English language is racist. So uh, <laughs> material in a module titled What is Whiteness that was taught to lecturers and professors at the Open University stated, along with religion, politics, law and customs, white superiority is embedded in the linguistic and cultural psychology of the English language. I mean, we're in England. Surely we're allowed to speak English in England. But is it... I'm, I'm quite interested in this. I wonder whether they're talking about the superiority of the English over the French, for instance, which I'm sure that's embedded. We have terms like French letter or Dutch courage, these words that are disparaging towards our continental neighbours. But then there's also the sense that we privilege the actual word white to mean good things. You know, you have a white knight and a black knight. They're both knights in armour, right? But traditionally, the white knight is good, the black knight lurks in... I think they're saying it's a wider scope than that, i.e. Yeah. English as a language of the West yeah. being supposedly superior to the colonial... So it's just the idea that, that our language is just better. Yes. It's, it's yeah. got a, a kind of hegemony in, yeah. uh, in business and in international trade. That's because it's American, though, right? Yeah, English, yeah absolutely. So. And pretty, pretty soon we'll all be speaking Mandarin, so yeah. they don't need to worry too it does, much. It is a shame if they're critiquing it, isn't it, rather than just finding it fascinating, as I'm sure Sir Lenny Henry would. The, the, the evolution of, of languages is an amazing thing, but English is the most extraordinary mongrel language. That's the great strength of it, right? It's got elements of Latin, elements of Anglo-Saxon, there's Persian words... There are words. But that's, what la but that's what language is in but general. But not always, no. French is nothing like as... as uh, French is much more homogeneously Latin. Well, they've spent a lot more time... I, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right now, they desperately trying to preserve it. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that, that is the great thing. We are an extraordinary success story for having, essentially, linguistically speaking, open borders. I'm not saying I want to roll that... Well, this, is, well this course has been criticised by uh, one of the professors who says, who says it, uh, Dr. Zaria Massini, uh, he's a historian of the British Empire, says that it, it basically is unhistorical, it's ignorant, yeah. and it ignores a contribution 
by um, people like uh, Salman Rushdie and people from... Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's, absolutely. Uh, and this course costs uh, £500,000 from Santander. Uh, so they've, Santander they've, have paid £500,000 for this training course. Yeah. I'm, I'm bang with Santander, I so I'm too. moving. I'm moving That's my account. My money. Got, they're wasting money they should be. That's my fees that I pay for my account. They should be like cutting my fees and not paying for ridiculous training, saying that the language I speak is racist. Are well, they I, sending? Sorry, are they sending their sort of branch staff on this? No, course? no, no. This no. is, but this is like they put the money. They sponsor it. But I'm yeah. just going to say okay, that if I've I've got some bitcoins, if you want to invest. <laughs> well, I've got some magic beans. Maybe we can swap. <laughs> okay, well. Times yeah. next, and uh, policy at Cambridge University is causing some unease, Josh. Stuck in the oh yes, uh, so Cambridge dons are balking at the. Uh, thought of giving respect. Basically, uh, what's happened is they're trying to do a second draft of this new policy document. It's try it's dressing inappropriate behavior. Yeah. And one of the things they're saying is you're meant to give mutual respect to each other. To, mm. But but then different dons are saying, well, wait a minute, why should, the, if I'm part of this field, yeah. why do I have to respect, if I'm like a part of the religious field, why do I have to respect? You know, there's a difference between showing mutual respect and saying tolerance and courtesy, which I think would but be I remember words. this conversation. This was six months or a year ago or something. Mm. I'm sure this exact conversation, and it was settled in favour of tolerance and... But I think there's a new... Someone new has come in and it's right. still... Or someone left. See, it's a, so it's it's a fine left. line, isn't it? We were playing with linguistic tricks, mm. but respect does suggest that you think, well, I have my view and you have your view, but there are some things on which people, professors, feel more strongly than that and should be entitled to. What yeah. I mean, it's, it's perfectly reasonable if you are, uh, I don't know, uh, like a, a climate scientist, for, to make take the obvious example, you don't have to respect somebody else's views if they haven't done the reading. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think yeah. they're right to say we don't have to respect, well, you just yeah, have yeah. to tolerate it. You don't, you're not allowed to like, physically threaten them or snub them in the canteen, but you don't have to respect their views. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, maybe it's, it's a, is it a minefield or are we overthinking it? What do you think? Or Cambridge University overthinking yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Thursday's mail now and a chink in the debating armour of left-wingers has been uncovered, Leo. I, th I think they screenshotted this a minute ago with the wrong story, but if they can bring that back <laughs> up again. There's a, uh, there we are. Left-wing audiences avoid reading negative news stories. Yeah, so almost half of British people, it's not just left-wingers, almost half of Britons uh, actively avoid the news. Uh, that's a figure that's doubled in the past five years, which is crazy. You'd think you know, people would want to be more engaged and want to know more about what's going on, but apparently those on the left avoid the news because it makes them feel overwhelmed, carry feelings of powerlessness, or worry that the news might create arguments. You're going to win them back, mate. Babies. <laughs> no wonder they want the government to wipe their bottoms, yeah, yeah. whatever acceptable word. It is interesting, Won't get me in the trouble powerlessness thing, whereas, isn't it? Whereas people on the right are far more likely to avoid the news because they think it is untrustworthy or biased, and they're exactly, they're absolutely right. Yeah. And the, the scary thing here, I mean, apart from the fact that people are becoming disengaged from the news, I don't know if GB News can turn that around, but people are becoming disengaged from the news and they're getting the fastest growing news source is TikTok, which I've got to tell you is a wow. terrible source of news, like videos, you know, solely made, you know, they're like eight second videos made by 12 year olds. I will say the GB News is the fastest growing TikTok. <laughs> TikTok is fantastic. <laughs> TikTok, you can trust. It is interesting, I was thinking, that the left have that feeling of powerlessness, and I think they project that into the idea that the right are grabbing power all the time, and they don't yeah. understand that, you know, power is, is like contingent, and, it, and it, it, 
Do you know what I mean? They, they, they feel like they have to band together to get power. It seems like there's all this, that's what kind of statism is, isn't it? This kind of yeah. massive power grab. And if, it, if it's rooted in a sense of powerlessness when they see that events simply unfold and they have no... I think if you can just get your head around the fact that that's what life is like, you'd be a lot happier. What <laughs> yeah. do you think, Josh? Uh, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it, it, it's it's sad if people are feeling like that because, of course, if you're not watching the news, whether you're remaining ignorant about it, and then yeah. you're not actually finding the facts of what's going on. True. Thursday's independent now. I think it's fair to say that Amber Heard has some of the worst advisors in show business. Will you? Before we get on to it, I think we've got some video which will illustrate the point. In the closing arguments, the Depp lawyer said, "Called your testimony the performance of a lifetime," and said you were acting. What do you say to that? Says the lawyer for the man who convinced the world he had scissors for fingers. <laughs> oh, bless her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is why actors need writers. Yeah, yeah. It's a very good point. What, what yeah, I mean, I just can't believe that they found somebody in Hollywood who's, who's not sane and balanced. Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. But yeah, she's, uh, she's basically someone who. Uh, you know, said you know Johnny Depp is he's, he's given an amazing performance because he once convinced the world that he had scissors for fingers. Yeah. But he didn't. Everybody no. knew he was playing <laughs> a character called Edward Scissorhands who yeah. had scissors for fingers, and nobody was like, "Oh my God, Johnny Depp's got scissors for and fingers." Let's say now. he rocks up in Pirates of the Caribbean. They're like, "Where are those scissors? Yeah. <laughs> he must have had an operation. <laughs> now he's a pirate. Oh my God, there's some ghost mines, ghost skeletons." <laughs> Yeah. Object permanence. I mean, maybe that's worlds. how Amber sees the world. I'm not sure. It is. It is quite disturbing, isn't it? I mean, I suppose she's just reaching for hyperbole to kind of go, "He's a great actor," and she. But she can't just say that. Yeah. In in a sense, that would have been a reasonable thing to say. He is a much better actor than her. Yeah. Mm. You know, it would have been reasonable if she just said that. He's like an A-list movie star. She's been in a few. Things. But his his strength on the stand and in court seemed to be that he was just a regular. He wasn't yeah. acting, whereas no. she seemed to be yeah. acting like she really wanted that Oscar. It's a it must be a, a great temptation if you're an actor and you're in court to think this could be the role of the lifetime. But it's absolutely a trap, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's almost certain to be. Well, she was, she came across as very affected and stilted, yeah. and it, it really didn't do her. Any good. And nor are the aftershocks. This next one from the mail comes as no surprise to those of you with crippling self-esteem issues and facial dysmorphia. <laughs> yeah, so staring at yourself on Zoom, as we've been doing for the last couple yes. of years, uh, can lead to anxiety and depression. Mm. And it's really hard to not do it. I mean, look, you've got your screen over there. I've got my screen. It's really hard to, yeah. to not look and get depressed. Yeah. I'm so bald! <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, when I was transplant. doing Zoom calls, like the two years that we were locked down, I had I actually reinvigorated social life with some friends that I wouldn't see very much of because they would live 50 miles away and you could see them for a drink, but then you'd have a long, boring train journey. Suddenly you could just, you could as easily meet them as you could, you know, your, your local friends who maybe... <laughs> yeah. So that was wonderful. But I did learn quite early on to create as much of a kind of low-key lighting atmosphere as I could so that I wasn't confronted with my bright, white, shiny face. I would quite often do them by, by candlelight. <laughs> so I would, I would look like a Rembrandt. You know, on a steam-powered computer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly how I picture you at home. <laughs> I loved it. I would, yeah, and I would wear a, like a hat and I would look as if I was around a brazier, you know, on the wrong side of the railway. <laughs> did you find that out? Because they're saying this, uh, this uh, sort of experiment that they did 
um, found out that drinking actually made the depression worse. Yeah, well, which, drink which, does. If you're depressed and you drink, you'll only get worse. I know, but, yeah. but, being, but when you have a drink when you're out with mates, actually, yeah. in the flat, it can be invigorating and fun, yeah. whereas it seemed to have the opposite effect. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the reason Zoom. drink is good when you're socialising, and it does work when you're socialising, until mm. you go too far, is because it, it, limit, it, it suppresses your ability to inhibit yourself, doesn't mm. it? It mm. takes away your editor. If you're on your own, that's of no benefit, yeah, and all the yeah. other aspects of drink kick in, and yeah. It's yeah, no, like, definitely try heroin instead. The Times has a story on the health of the British gaming scene, Josh, uh, an area I believe you're passionate about. I am indeed. Uh, this is slightly different. This is Warhammer, uh, or Games Workshop is the name of the company that owns Warhammer. They have been, I think, the biggest success, most successful company over the last couple of years. Wow. In terms of their shares, they've gone up. Um, they jumped, they've gone 400% up in the last five years. A lot of people painting them at home, I guess. Well, ex exactly, that's it. So they, But they were actually really successful already before COVID, but COVID also pushed people yep. into that. It's a very geeky thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm massively into board games, and I play a few Warhammer games as well. Do you do the painting as well? I've tried the painting, but I just, I'm rubbish at yeah. it. But I like just having these little systems. I buy them, though. I see some people, I follow some people on Twitter who post their little ones. Oh, sure, There's a guy no. called Tom Chivers, who's a sort of science correspondent. He does that as hobby and they're fantastic oh, they're, it's amazing and they, I can imagine it's quite sort of meditative and whatever but anyway um, they're giving their members of staff £4,000 bonus each wonderful news pretty cool been quite a big week for news this is going to be our last story of the night first the singularity now this first contact Leo so China says it may have detected signals from an alien civilization, and it, it can't wait can't wait to get them into internment camps. And, and you've got <laughs> 10 seconds to cover it. We've got signals yeah. from aliens so all the crap we've talked about. That's basically it. It's got this giant sky-eye telescope, and they've decided to point it into space instead of at their own citizens, and they've discovered yeah. these signals that could be from aliens. Fantastic. That is all we have time for. What an out. Thank you to my guests, Leo and Josh. It's been a pleasure. I have been Simon Evans. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring. 